Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Stephen the Warman Writes Kickfighting Podcast Show. I'm your host, Stephen the Warman. You are listening to my podcast on various ways, but the two most popular are to go to my blog, which is lordgaul.podbean.com. I try to upload uh, at least once a week. I had a little bit of a gap. I'll explain that in a moment, but um, uh, I post this to my Inst- to my uh, Twitter and to my Facebook. Uh, the Twitter being Stephen the Warman. Um, the other way to get the show is through the iTunes search engine. Just enter Warman Kickfighting Show and the show pops right up. So I've had a bit of a gap. Um, there has been a ton of news to come out about glory kickboxing and you know how they're moving things around and so on. The only thing I ask is that people would patiently wait because I've been getting a lot of questions and what are Stephen Wright's thoughts and that kind of stuff, whatever. Just patiently wait. Uh, it's a weird time with the pandemic and not as many shows going on. Um, just wait it out, and I assure you, you will get a response uh, as far as what's going on. But in the moment, uh, we are at a weird time where, you know, shows make money off of their gates and off of their TV deals. And and um, that means that there's, with, you know, most of our talent being in a lot of countries where they weren't even allowed to leave, uh, so much talent in Holland, so much talent in the European countries that had very strict uh, rules and regulations on who could come and go. It's super important that uh, people realize all will come to you in time. Uh, I did see a lot of skies falling stuff out there, uh, but just wait it out. Um, and uh, I assure you, you will get an answer that is more satisfactory moving forward. Um, as for me, I am right now on location. I like to say that even though it has absolutely nothing to do with the podcast. I am in Yaz Island. Um, I'm here uh for the UFC events. Uh, of course, a lot of you guys know I work with Kamaru Usman. And then, of course, I've had Abdul Razak Al-Hassan from the very beginning of my career uh, as a coach. And uh, we are out here. And also, I'm, I'm helping uh, Aaron Phillips, who's in, um, uh, got a short notice one week call up uh, just a little while ago. So definitely excited to be here and to help uh, these athletes accomplish their dreams and, and score victories. I am actually in quarantine. And uh, I will get out of quarantine in 90 minutes from the time that I am recording this. Basically, we have come out here. I've been tested for coronavirus four times in the last five days. And uh, hopefully, you know, this comes off safe and I, stay, I remain COVID-free until our fight happens. And hopefully I get home and uh, uh, safe. And it was a, you know, a journey where my athletes got to compete to the best of their ability. But uh, as of right now, I am excited about getting to walk around because it's just been me in this hotel for a long time. They even bring our food to us. So uh, I'm excited about those moments. <laughs> Anyways, I want to thank everybody for listening. And I'm going to get right into the theme of the podcast. Basically, Basically, I decided to add something new. I'm going to start looking at tournament victories over kickboxing, my, my years in kickboxing and loving kickboxing. So not all these tournaments are going to be your big typical K1 World Grand Prix Championship or Max Championship or Glory Championship. I am going to take the time to talk to you about certain stars and you know different periods of their careers where they won a one-night tournament and it showed the skill that made us understand who they truly are as athletes. So I'm actually going to talk about one that is the one that gave me the idea for this. Uh, the Japan 2001 Grand Prix heavyweight where Nicholas Pettis goes through three people to win the Japanese tournament and earn him a spot in the K1 World Grand Prix. A spot that 
if I'm remembering correctly, led to a matchup with Alexei Ignashov, in which he was doing extremely well with the low kicks until one of the best trap uh, um uh, he threw a, a left hook that was trapped by Ignashov, who got on top of his head and fired a knee that broke his nose. One of the more famous images in all of kickboxing history, in particular in the career of Alexei Ignashov. Uh, but what people didn't realize is you, sometimes you just get the finale and you don't remember the fight. And Nicholas Pettis was winning the fight. He was moving well. He was scoring a lot of low kicks. He was, he was hurting uh, Ignashov with the low kicks. So we're going to get into Nicholas, Nicholas Pettis. First thing that you guys should know about Pettis is... Pettis, in a joking matter, <laughs> in a joking way, is considered the poor man's Annie Hook. He is, you know, both guys were short, but Nicholas was short. Nicholas was 5'8", five, 5'9", five, you know, heavyweight, probably weighed 208, 210 at best. Um, but man, could this guy low kick. And what I mean by low kick, it's the way he shoots his Kyoku Shin style of, of low kick, uh, he gets a good portion of his shin on it. So not the direct shin as if someone's like looking straight ahead, the shin right in front of you. He gets a good portion of if you slide your leg. So let's use your right leg, for example. If you put your hand right in the middle of your shin, if you slide your hand to the left side of that towards your calf, that is the thick part of your shin. And uh, that is the part that, you know, if you ever hear check a kick, you want to pick that part up and or you want it to score, uh, check it more towards the top of your leg because there's more bone up there. But when you're firing a low kick, um, a lot of people come down sharp and they want to score at the middle of the leg. You can be just as devastating if you have just a small angle to it and you get more of that shin on. And Pettis was the master at this. He was so good at getting the thickness of his shin in that direction when he fired his low kick. He was extremely talented at it, and uh, his boxing was something that was a work in progress. Now, if you guys under, if you know how Kyoko Shin works, quick rundown, I've said this before, um, basically the style of Kyoko Shin, the reason why you guys see them in that stance where they're wide and then they throw the punches at the one, you know, the one twos kind of with their shoulders straight has a lot to do with how they compete in Kyoko Shin. Uh, there, there's no punching to the head, which means you punch uh, to the body and that's usually more of a volume type strike. So every once in a while, you'll see someone pick their shots and really dig it to the, um, um, to the ribs, come around the outside, uh, you know, uh, but most of the time it is they're working on the chest and the stomach and they're punching right down the pipe as they try to wear you out and then they find their kick combinations afterwards and then the sporadic hook, you know, spinning hook kick or high kick or jump knee, all those are the techniques that are allowed to happen to the head. So a lot of those guys, when they move over to the K1 rules, they struggle with the boxing portion of it. Nicholas Pettis, just like Andy Hook, struggled with that portion. In the very beginning, he figured out that, all right, I don't necessarily have the best setups. I don't know how to feint my way in. I don't know how to work behind a jab. I don't know how to uh, throw combinations that gets the guard in one direction so I can throw something in another direction. Uh, I don't play the parry. It's a new experience. You have to put time into it. So when those shots come out to you and you're, you're, sometimes your guard is one of the main things you're not used to because you're not used to having to keep it up for punches. Um, Took Andy Hoog a little bit, and then he figured it out. When I'm inside, I've got to be hands-free because these guys are bigger and taller than me. Enter Nicholas Pettis. We get to the Grand Prix. He has the exact same understanding. He's learning and getting better at boxing. Uh, he is backed uh, in the corner by uh, Francisco Filho, another guy from the Kyokushin um, uh, family. Uh, and he is going out there looking for his boxing, looking for his low kicks. First match. 
Yusuke Fujimoto. He actually was seconds away from not being on this list at all because he could have got stopped to the body. Fight opens up, he comes out. He throws maybe one low kick, but mostly he's looking to close the range and throw flurry boxing. That's what Nicholas is out there doing. Yusuke Fujimoto is taking his time and closing the distance, and he puts his earmuffs up, and then Nicholas is waiting for a ref break, and while he's waiting for a ref break, Fujimoto just throws like 20 shots to the body, just like like he's working the heavy back. Not the most devastating shots in the world, but he keeps working, keeps working it. So then Nicholas moves around, he decides to throw another kick, at the same time, Fujimoto throws a left hand, which scores to the body clean. Great job by the ref to notice the location, and that was the cause of the knockdown. Knockdown scores. So early on, Nicholas Pettis is one knockdown away from being out of it, being out of this completely. So Nicholas battles through. Fujimoto is all over him. He knows he's hurt him to the body. Uh, if Fujimoto maybe took the time to find the right left uh, hand shot to the body, um, I think maybe he could have gotten him out of there. But instead, he just kind of threw flurries, what made it easier for Pettis to just keep the guard up and protect the sides of his body. So Pettis weathers the storm, weathers the storm, catches his breath, and then he unloads a, a few heavy shots with the boxing, uh, gets Fujimoto in trouble. Fujimoto goes down. So now we're one knockdown and a piece. Still in round one. So we got a great one, you know, great entertaining round. Fujimoto gets up, they start going back to work, and then all of a sudden, just to show, he only threw like one low kick early in the fight. Nicholas Pettis lands the perfect low kick, Fujimoto goes down, two low kicks is always scored to the round. The second one, perfect time, maybe a little fatigue came into play, but just the, the, the location of it, down goes Fujimoto, he loses uh, by low kick, two knockdown rule and the tournament. So, Pettis moves on, realizing, okay, I have figured something out with the low kick. Like, I figured that that is, I got away from it. That got me hit. I'm going to go back to it. Enter Nobu Hayashi. Nobu Hayashi, longtime kickboxing veteran. Um, you know, he's uh, uh, got some history with, you know, doing advertisements and so on in the area. Respected member of kickboxing. Never had the most skill, but, like, he was a heavyweight mainstay for kickboxing tournaments and uh, always going to be on a lot of cards, in, you know, whether America or Europe. His name came up a lot. So Nobu Hayashi goes out there. Nobu Hayashi doesn't even get started because immediately Nicholas Pettis is heavy on the low kicks. Doubles up. Like one of the better things that Nicholas Pettis does is sometimes he will double or triple up on the low kick. He gets the work started. He uh, scores, gets the Nobu uh, in bad shape. But I believe the first knockdown came with boxing. Um, and then, nope, no, it didn't. Came with the low kick. Low kick hurts Nobu. Nobu goes down. They do the first count. Nobu gets back up. And because his shins are so hardened from the Kyokushin style, he can find it forever. So a lot of people, like in mixed martial arts right now, the calf kick is very popular. If you're in Kyokushin, you've known it for a long time. You know how to block it. You know how to use it. You've seen it. And in this particular one, he knows that he's got Nobu hurt with the low kick. Nobu tries to pick up the check, but it's not a strong check. It's more of a picking up the legs so you don't get to my thigh again moment. And then instead, Pettis aims right at the calf, scores as soon as he puts the leg on the ground, he goes down. Uh, second knockdown by low kicks gives you the win for uh, Nicholas Pettis, who's now gone through Fujimoto and Nobu Hayashi. In the final, he beats Musashi. Now... Musashi, of course, is probably arguably the most decorated heavyweight kickboxer. I mean, you, you, you've got uh, uh, 
Um, Satake is the other one, you know, uh, and of course, I've said it in this podcast a million times. I believe the kickboxing K1 World Grand Prix was invented off of the success of Satake. Even though he wasn't the favorite going into the tournament, he was a legit Japanese heavyweight that can make a run and he did get to the finals one year got to the finals Masashi got to the finals two years uh, and he's won the K1 um, Japan Grand Prix several times legit legit talented kickboxer and uh, just struggled because early in his career he was thrown right to the wolves because you know he's this up-and-coming kid who maybe weighed 180 pounds when he first got to K1 and they just kept pushing it and pushing it and throwing him in there against LeBanner and all these killers. So it took him a while to figure out how to be successful in kickboxing. Um, after this tournament, he actually finds his stride. You know, 2003, 2004, those are the years that he gets uh, to the K-1 World Grand Prix um, final, you know, meeting Majowski both times. But this was a early test for him to get a... I won't say foreign style because he's probably used to that style, but just get some rounds against a foreigner that's not necessarily a killer on the feet for him anyways. So the first three rounds are really a showmanship display for Nicholas Pettis. Uh, Nicholas Pettis tries the axe kick. He plays to the crowd. Uh, he um, has a couple moments where he, he threw a high kick and he missed and he came with a spinning hook kick on the other shot. Didn't score the most bodacious shot in the world, but it scored. So then you could just see the habits, like the, the same things coming up over and over and over. The thing that was really, really prevalent in this was the idea that the skill of uh, Pettis and the way that it scores against other guys wasn't working against the Southpaw Musashi, who was waiting with the check a few times, who was looking for his boxing, who was walking him down, but neither guy was able to separate themselves skill-wise after three rounds. They weren't scoring enough, and their skill sets weren't separating them on the cards. Now you can make an argument if you want to go with just scores that Musashi won after three. So if you're like, hey, who do you think scored the most? I could see two and three um, that there were some pretty clean scores from Musashi, enough to give him a little bit of an edge in the round. But all three judges came back with a draw because it wasn't significant enough. They really want you to win the round in Japan. That's just kind of how it goes. So after going through this series of offense, um, I mean, it was an extremely important learning opportunity, I should say. It was very, uh, very um, good for both guys to see those rounds. Round three opens up, or round four, the extension round, opens up with Musashi to me, running away with the fight. For two minutes and 30 seconds, uh, it looks like Pettis is a little bit tired. The showman stuff has gone away. He's just kind of getting walked down. And Musashi is just looking for opportunities to just throw offense, score the little boxing here and there, throw with a single kick to the body here and there. He's pressuring. He is doing the work to take over the round. Then, after pretty much doing nothing for most of the round, Nicholas Pettis fires a high kick. It gets blocked, but Nicholas feels like it is partially blocked. So after that, they come together and Nicholas starts throwing heat. He is throwing big shots over the top. He is scoring uh, with, with hooks with both hands. Musashi's in trouble. He's trying to keep his balance and stay, uh, you know, movement. Like he's trying to keep his balance and stay effective, but he is all over the place. Like he's just not the same person that he used to be. And it is clear that he is trying to get out of the round and 
He gets a knockdown call with maybe six seconds left in the round. So Nicholas Pettis secures the K1 uh, Japan uh, Grand Prix. What happened was it looked like it was going to be called a knockout. And then so Pettis was celebrating like he won by knockout, which there's a strong argument for because we didn't i didn't know if there was a safe by the bell rule which there apparently is in this one but the nature in which mushasi had turned away and put his hands on the ropes looked like he was done fighting but the bell had rang and they go to decision and all three cards go to nicholas pettis so i didn't know at this time that this was the most significant moment of nicholas pettis's kickboxing career the next time you would see him he would just as i mentioned before the ignishoff loss uh he you know known here and there he had the shin break uh injury loss which was you know hard to look at but he came back from it um he's a tough guy tough guy had you know good run came back had a loss to peter arts later in in his career but this was probably his bravest you know his, his most uh important moment of his kickboxing career. So I was glad to bring this up on the podcast because I wanted to do something a little bit different. Not everybody that I name um, when I do these tournament rundowns is going to be someone that went on to be K1 World Grand Prix champion. Sometimes they just had good solid careers and sometimes they just had a special night. And I think for Nicholas Pettis, this was a special night for him. Next tournament we're going to do is King of the Ring Italy, uh, which was a Thai boxing tournament that they did in 2001, with your winner being a very young Mike Zambides. So go ahead and work through it. We'll go from the top down. So Mike Zambides gets into it with Bakari Tankara and his first outing of the tournament. And... Right away, uh, Bakari is fighting what you would, how you would expect. He's got a shorter guy in front of him, so his team, in particular at that time, use your jab, use your teep, use your clinch. That was their goal there. So he comes out, he's firing some jabs, but there's no sting behind those jabs. Uh, they're just kind of range finders. Fires a teep, just kind of a range finder. Zambides comes in, he reaches for the clinch. To me, this is Zambides figuring him out. Okay, this is what's coming from here. This is where your distance is. Okay, I think I've got you figured out. I can go into my power offense now. So he goes in there and he plays the game and he's very, very patient. When a kick comes, he has a low kick return. One of the most underrated things about Mike Zambidi's, you know, fighting and his fight style is how good of a low kicker and a kicker in general that he was. Most people know him for the big power KOs, so they forget that this violent dude was also really good at finding his low kicks. So... He's able to do some good kick returning, and, uh, you know, he's blocked strong kick afterwards. If he sees a combo, he'd follow with his own low kicks, uh, scored the calf kick several times, uh, just, you know, off of the counter. He is looking and showing good poise as he's looking for his power shot over the top. Then Bakari fires a switch kick with his lead leg. Uh, Zambides blocks it, fires the right hand over the top, scores the first knockdown of the fight. First and foremost, credit due. I have no idea how uh, Bakari was able to get up after this because he was starched clean. Caught, hit with an overhand shot, body laid flat. It looked like he was gone. But he got himself back up to the feet. And then, of course, here comes Embiidis on the hunt. And as he's looking for the hunt, he fires another big-time low kick. This one lands in the calf. Uh, and uh, down goes Bakari. Bakari is not able to continue. And Mike Zambides moves on to the next round after a very clean, strong first-round KO finish. Next one, he gets Mateo, uh, I believe it's pronounced Sikeka, I could be wrong, 
S-C-I-A-C-C-A. I was trying to hear it over and over and over um, because, uh, like, I was listening to the broadcast and I was trying to hear them say it. But Mike was in control most of the fight, so they just talked about Mike mostly. Um, but Mateo was a talented guy who, if I had never seen the card before, like the version of it, I couldn't get the sound that good. I was like, oh, yeah, this guy's probably from Italy, you know? <laughs> and the reason why I said that had nothing to do with crowd noise, had nothing to do with, you know, the way he performed in the fight. The reason why I figured he was from Italy was because of the way the judge was favoring him, uh, the ref was favoring him. Like, there were some moments extremely early in the fight where I was like, knockout, that's a knockdown. Um, you know, like, I knew, like, right off the bat, they got into an exchange, and uh, Mateo threw a right straight and then uh Zambidi's ball with a left hook right afterwards and he goes down it is clear from my view that this is a knockdown I've got no doubt in my mind knockdown clean clear Rafa lets it get back up then they get into some exchanges again at another point I believe this one came off of a kick Mateo threw a kick Zambidi's came strong over the top of the hook definitely hurt him like you could see that it hurt him down he goes happens right in front of the ref the ref waits for him to get to his feet and then he stumbles and he goes over to the corner and then probably after getting to like you know a six count the ref decides to go with one so Zambides is in control and it's funny because the camera angle shows his corner a lot and they're all frustrated because they're seeing like all right they're trying to cheat us this is the guy they want to win doesn't matter one of the guys is Mike Zambides so he'll figure it out anyways so he's able to get out of the first round round two starts Back to work, scoring the low kick, scoring the big power boxing, scores another big time knockdown. Mateo goes down. Uh, again, there were a couple moments in the round where they called it a slip, where it was a knockdown. Uh, and uh, this one was a significant strike. And the ref was a little slow to it, but he did get the count going. And I could see the frustration. They're cheering, but they're also frustrated because they're like, Mike's taking it to this guy, and he feels like the ref is uh, um, a little slow to acknowledge the power work that he's doing. Matters not. As soon as he gets back up, Mike closes the distance, lets the power boxing go, scores another knockdown, pretty much knockout. It's two knockdowns in the round, uh, and Mike Zambides goes on to the final. Okay, so again, in this tournament, he's showing the patience. He's showing the, you know, keeping the poise. He could have got frustrated. He could have yelled at the ref. He didn't look at him one time. He knew he was the better guy. He came out to execute, execute clean against Mateo, and he did so. So, after this fight, we move on to the main event where Petra Polek gives very little resistance to Mike Zambides. Now, again, it's a tournament, so he took some damage before it. In the end, I just think he ran into the guy that was supposed to win the tournament. Mike Zambides, not only was he winning, but he was winning the way that you want to win tournaments. I've said it on this show many times before. There is an art to it. If you feel like you can get your guy out in the first 90 seconds, it is better for you to strategically figure out the skill that it takes to put a guy away, whether it's scoring two, knockout, two knockdowns or a knockout in round one so that you're more rested for your second round and third round or in finals matchups. You want to put yourself in a position when you are your best late in the fight. Zambo's winning by knockout. So he feeds the first guy in the first round, gets the second guy in the second round. So he left, you know, uh, two and a half rounds where he wasn't ha didn't have to fight, excuse me. So um, four rounds uh, going into it, excuse me, he left two and a half rounds that he didn't have to compete, that Petra Polak had to kind of battle through on the other side of the, the bracket. 
matters not. He goes out there. He's looking for his power boxing. Petrie is moving. He throws a jab that's a little lazy. And little did he know, Mike Zambides had loaded up and fired the power hook with the left hand. Killer. KO, clean, no need to count. Go ahead and help the brother up. Great job by Mike Zambides. Goes out to Italy and wins this tournament in KO fashion. This would lead to a lot of people at this period of time calling Mike Zambides the best kickboxer in the world. Because not only did he do these fights, but he also did, you know, the old school, which not anybody, many people do anymore. Actually, I don't know if they're done anymore. But he used to do 10 rounders. He used to do 10 rounders, two minutes, kickboxing, no clinch. Uh, he's got that in his history. So he was champion of that. He was champion of Oceana um, uh, Grand Prix. Uh, he was champion... You know, all over in his K1 uh, Max debut, uh, excuse me, not his Max debut, uh, in his Max debut, he actually lost in the first round. Who was that? I'm going to, oh, man, I am trying to remember the name. Uh, Mike Cope, that's who it was. His first time fighting anything to do with Max was in K1 Oceania 2001, and he lost to Mike Cope in the first round or the quarterfinals. So that was his first experience with K1. The second experience with K1, as a lot of you guys know, uh, not including winning the K1 Oceania 2002, the, the big standout one was the Albert Kraus knockout. Like that just showed that was the KO that put him on the map that people will talk about for years when they talk about his career, his big stage in Japan, opportunity, and one hit a, one hit a quitter, big time KO. So shout out to him for that. But him winning this tournament and the fashion in which he won the tournament is extremely, extremely important. He went out there and he won this thing by KO. And I don't know if people understand the importance of that, but man, when you, when your goal is to be the best, it's not, especially in the lower weight divisions, getting decisions helps. You know, you want to win and getting your hand raised goes a long way. But killing a guy goes a much further way. So at this period of time, you've got Labanner winning whole tournaments by KO. You know, uh, Ernesto Hoos winning tournaments by KO. Stefan Lecco winning whole tournaments by KO. These guys are leaving their mark. And you got a young Mike Zambides who was having success, but he's still losing people here and there. He's got a loss to Eunice Albanzani. He's got, you know, a loss to Noel Suarez. Got a loss to Alain uh, Zankifo. He struggled with some people, some of the taller people, but he found his stride after this tournament. And even though losses still came, he was able to put together a fantastic career. Great run, uh, a lot of big time wins. Uh, the Gurkhan Askin uh, fight was very, very important, you know, as far as, you know, his. Uh, um, you know, tournament acumen, and uh, that's another tournament I could talk about another time. Uh, but, like, he did a great job. And I think that this one was one of the things that gave him the confidence that led into a lot more success down the road. Doesn't mean he didn't lose, but, man, he put together a great career. And this fight showed, this tournament showed all the talent and all the skill that he had. So I want to thank everybody for listening. I will be back next week. Hopefully I'll do one more before I leave, um, you know, Yas Island here inside of your, uh, and uh, Abu Dhabi. And um, I'm hoping to have a lot of success and I'm hoping to, uh, you know, with my fighters, but I'm hoping to keep giving you guys good kickboxing content. Again, forgive me for the break, but I've just been so busy with COVID testing and my gym and, and all that kind of stuff. I just hadn't had the time to put the study into an episode and make it count. So I made sure I put the study into an episode and make it count. So uh, uh, thank you for your time. God bless everybody. And thank you for listening. Peace.